Um, before we close, and I, and I know we went a little bit longer than normal on this section, but I do want to share something from uh, the book of Jeremiah that God has, I've been reading through Jeremiah, and this is something that he's, um, he's been teaching me lately in chapter 32. If you have a Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there real quick, we're just going to look at a few of these verses. I'm just going to recap this story since we don't have much time this morning. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with, with Jeremiah the prophet, Jeremiah was a prophet during the, the time of the divided kingdom where Israel and the north, they've already been carried off to captivity. And then you have the southern kingdom, Judah. And the Judah, their capital was Jerusalem. And Jeremiah, uh, because the people of Israel have been unfaithful to God, all the promises, all the things that God said was going to happen, begin to happen. He said, look, if you don't honor me, if you're not faithful to me, then you're going to end up in captivity. You're going to be taken out of the land, and you're going to lose that blessing. So Jeremiah, through God, uh, speaks for God to the people and says, hey, look, we haven't been following God, and so we're going to be carried off into exile well, this doesn't make the king very happy, so he throws him first in a cistern where he's in danger for his life, and then he finally gets upgraded to a prison uh, for preaching basically treason according to the king. And this happens while he's in prison. The Babylonian army has already come. They've already overtaken all the area around Jerusalem, and they're about to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, and the people of Israel are about to be carried off to Babylon for the next 70 years And we read this beginning in verse 6. Jeremiah replied, The word of the Lord came to me. Watch, Hanamel, the son of your uncle Shulam, is coming to say to you, Buy my field in Anatoth for yourself, for your own right of redemption. So here's what happens. He's in prison. He's been in prison. And his cousin is going to come to him and say, I want you to buy this piece of land. I want you to buy this piece of land from me that's already a battlefield. Uh, It's been torn apart by war. And it's already under the enemy control. But I want you to buy my field. And God comes to him and tells him in advance that your cousin's going to come do this. Now, why, why would God do that? I think God did this because he knew that if, if his cousin just showed up, Jeremiah's going to say, um, how big of an idiot do you think I am to buy this piece of land? Number one, I don't have any children to pass this land on to. So there's no point in me buying it because right now I'm in prison. I have no use for it right now. Plus, it's under enemy control. Plus, we're about to go into captivity for 70 years, and I don't think I'm going to survive the next 70 years to come back and plow this land. Not only that, my, my own family's already rejected me. Now you're asking me to buy this land? So he knew that this act of faith was going to seem crazy. God knew that this act of faith would seem crazy to Jeremiah. But then we read this in verse 9. Hanamel comes to him just as God promised. And in verse 9, it says, So I bought the field in Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel, and I, uh, and I weighed out to him his money, 17 shekels of silver, a year and a half's wages. A year and a half's wages. Everyone in Jerusalem must have thought that Jeremiah was the stupidest man alive. This land was absolutely useless for him. This act of faith seemed crazy, but here we see that he makes the sacrifice a year and a half's wages, and he obeys the Lord. This act of faith required him to sacrifice and obey. And so he does, and he obeys. And, and then we see this in, uh, later in verse uh, 
9, we, it goes on and it talks about how they record the sale of this land so that future generations would know about it. And what they do is they take this earthen jar. God tells them, put the deed in an earthen jar. Sign it with your seal. Put it in this earthen jar. Now, if you've ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls, how many of you guys have heard of those before? You know that those scrolls were preserved for over 2,000 years in, in those jars. A very similar jar because God is saying to him, he's saying, look, it's going to be a long time before you see this promise come to fruition, when this land is going to be able to be redeemed by someone in your family. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, but it's going to be a long time. It's going to be a long time, so you need to be prepared that when the day comes that they'll be able to find this deed, this promised land that I have for you. And so he obeys that, and he puts it away in the jar, and he knows, he realizes, I'm never going to get I'm never going to get to use this land, but someone else in my family will. And then we go on in verse 16, and we read this. After I had given the purchase agreement to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. I love this in verse 17. O Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and the earth by your great power, and with your outstretched arm, nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. And then we see God repeat this. And this is what the Lord uh, said uh, in the next, later on, God repeats that and he says, I'm the Lord God and nothing is too difficult for me. Nothing is too difficult for me. He says, look, I know this seems crazy. I know it seems odd that I would ask you to do this, but I'm going to come through. I'm going to come through on my promise. So we see that Jeremiah has bought this land. In verse 27, we see where God, God comes back and he says, Look, I am Yahweh, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? And he says, no. The answer is no. That this isn't too difficult for me. That again, some, at some time, he promises that this land is going to be used as a field. This land is going to be used to build a city. Houses will be built here. And later on, it talks about how vineyards are going to be planted there. Now, if you know anything about vineyards, you know that they don't just produce grapes the very first year. It takes decades before they become profitable. But God says there are going to be vineyards planted here. This is a long-term deal. And then I love what it says in verse 41, the very last verse that we'll read together. It says, I will take delight in them. This is God speaking. I will take delight in them to do what is good for them. And with all my heart and all my mind, I will faithfully plant them in this land. Now, I read this uh, passage as I was studying through Jeremiah, and I just thought about the forethought that Jeremiah had and that God had through him. For God to say, I've got big plans for this land, but it's not going to be immediate. It's not going to be right away. And I thought about this Greek proverb. There's an ancient Greek proverb. Perhaps you've heard it before, but it says, Societies flourish when old men plant trees under whose shade they will never sit. I live in a brand new neighborhood with some tiny, tiny trees. Uh, But I grew up in Houston where there were trees that were planted years and years and years ago. And I can remember going to my grandparents' house, a house that they bought when my mom was in high school, and I can remember in the summertime sitting in the shade of those trees that were planted years before. This passage, we see that Jeremiah plants a tree, and he'll never get to sit under the shade of that tree. And I want to remind you that throughout Scripture, we see people, we see Nathaniel, uh, when Jesus calls him, 
He's sitting under the shade of a tree that he didn't plant. Zacchaeus climbed up in a tree that he didn't plant so that he could get a glimpse of the Lord. And you and I sit under the shade of the greatest tree of all time, the cross of Jesus Christ. May we never forget that. But as River Rock Bible Church, we also sit under the shade of, of tree, trees planted by people that will never sit under the shade of River Rock Bible Church. You see, five years ago, 2012, I left a church in Dallas where I'd served as a youth pastor for five years. I was a young, naive, stupid youth pastor that didn't know anything other than God had called me to plant a church in the Austin area. And families from that church came around me and they knew that we were taking a 25% pay cut, that we were leaving all of our friends and family. We were moving to a city where we didn't know anyone and we had no guarantee that the job was going to be there in a year. And they said, we want to pray for you. Not only are we going to pray for you, but we're going to support you. And I could tell you stories of of families who gave financially. Uh, Amanda and I prayed about these families that we would approach. Eight of the ten families we prayed for approached us before we approached them. And when I went to lunch with one of the men, and I was asking, I was was naive, like I said. I was asking for $100 a month for one year. And he said, what do you want me to do with this check for $6,000? I said, well, I'll take that, and you just send me the other ones. Uh, and he did. And then there were other families that said, you know, our, we've got two kids in college. We're having to take care of my mom. We can't do that much. But here's what we can do. We can do $25 a month. We want to support you, and we're going to pray for you every single day. And they've not stopped praying for me and this church ever since, before there was even a River Rock Bible Church. I started at Hill Country Bible Church Austin in September of 2012. By January of 2012, 2013, God had surrounded me with eight families who were in Georgetown or moving to Georgetown who said, we will plant the gospel with you in Georgetown. We will be a part of your core team. And we're going to leave our churches and we're going to start gathering with you on a Sunday morning and we're going to be trained and we're going to start reaching out to our neighbors. And so we started to plant River Rock Bible Church. By September of 2013, we launched our very first service. And those same eight families, a few weeks before we launched, gathered together. And we did what's called a first fruits offering. And eight families brought together $100,000 to to be able to purchase the lights, the sounds, to rent this building. All the things that needed to happen in order for us to have a service. And to reach men, women, and children with the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And those same eight families pulled the trailer, stuffed the bulletins, set up the chairs, set up the classrooms, handed out the bulletins, led the Sunday school classes, did the teardown afterwards, took up the offering, counted the offering, deposited the offering. They did everything. They did everything. And we sit under the shade of those families. We sit under the shade of those families that invested when I was just the young, dumb youth pastor in Dallas, Texas. I want you to imagine with me 10 years from now, 20 years from now, when somewhere in Georgetown there's a building, and on the outside of the building it bears the name River Rock Bible Church, and there are hundreds of people gathering for worship on a Sunday morning. And as they gather, they begin to tell stories about this small group of less than 100 adults that met in this dank, smelly elementary school cafeteria. And they would pull this this nasty trailer and they would set up and tear down when it was hot and they would move schools because the AC was going to be worked on. But they would get there and they would set up coffee and they would, they would teach in the kids' Sunday school classrooms. And they're going to tell these stories of people who've gone before them. 
They're going to tell all these stories about how a neighbor reached out to them at Backyard Bible Club and how how a a neighbor invited them to an Easter service where there was going to be an Easter egg hunt and there was breakfast and for the first time they heard the gospel and they responded. And they're going to talk about these men and women who, who weren't large in number and they didn't have huge finances, but what they did have was a commitment first to the Lord and then to one another. And what they did have was a desire for discipleship and for evangelism. And I believe 10, 15 years from now, we're going to be telling stories about how that small group of people reduced the lostness of the city of Georgetown and men, women, and children put their trust in Jesus Christ. Not because of some building. Not because of some phenomenal budget. But because God's people were faithful. God's people were faithful. And I believe that there are kids in her Sunday school classes kids in our Sunday school classes right now. They'll go on short-term mission trips as teenagers and God will light a fire and say, I want you to do this for the rest of your life. And they will take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea to the ends of the earth. And years from now, They'll be sitting around talking about how their parents were a part of a small little church plant where they first heard the gospel and where discipleship was a part of their life. And they wanted to take that not just to their Jerusalem, not just to their Judea, but to the ends of the earth. And I believe that there are going to be church planters that come out of this church. I believe that there are men and women right now, moms and dads, who God is saying, I know you have a career, but I've got something greater for you. And they're going to be obedient. And they're going to take steps of faith. And we're going to get to send them out. There are families in this church right now that God has already placed on their life a call to be missionaries. And as a church family, we're going to have the opportunity to pray for them, to support them, and to send them to the ends of the earth where more men, women, and children are going to hear the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We're going to plant trees under whose shade we will never sit. But we're going to plant those trees knowing that someone else will get the benefit of the work that we do. Someone else will get the benefit of the sacrifices that we make financially. Someone else will get those benefits. Because our perspective, our desire is not just for God to honor us and to give us something great, but for his kingdom and for his name to be great. So I want you to think about River Rock Bible Church 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And as those people gather And as they start to tell stories, how is your family going to be remembered? What stories are they going to tell about you? What trees are you going to have planted in the next 10 to 20 years to allow someone else to sit under that shade? I believe, I know God was speaking to the people of Israel in verse 41 when he says, I will plant them, I will faithfully plant them in this land. And I'm not a name it and claim it guy. But that verse right there, when I think about the last six years of my life and the journey has called, God has called me on and the people that he has surrounded me with, I believe that today he is saying, River Rock Bible Church, I will faithfully plant you in the city of Georgetown and you will reach every man, woman, and child with the life-changing reality. Will you join me 
in that journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the men and women and children who've gone before us and planted shade trees under whose shade they will never, never sit, but Lord, we get to sit under it now. We thank you for the cross that we sit under the shade that you provided through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give us wisdom in knowing how to move forward as a church that we would see this city reached for your great name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.